Our reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. You can find this on page 953 of the Church Bible. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. (coughs) When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take almost a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had been eaten was five thousand. Jesus walks on water. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognised Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into a village, town or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch, even hit the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alison. You know, sometimes um, 
our lives. Chris is going to speak today, don't worry. Uh, but sometimes in our lives, we, <laughs> we get overwhelmed and, and anxious. And um, however hard we work, things don't seem to go the way we'd like them to go. Uh, and as I've been listening to these scriptures read this morning, um, the verse which um, has leapt out at me both times um, is verse 50 in Mark chapter 6, verse 50. And just imagine if you're a visual person in your mind's eye um, being, on, being in the boat out in the middle of the lake, and it's the middle of the night, so it's pitch black, um, and you've been rowing hard against a prevailing wind and then a ghost-like figure comes so you've been exerting yourself and now you're scared because you don't know what's coming towards you on the lake and there is some synergy with seasons in our lives where the going is so tough and hard and we can feel overwhelmed and anxious and I just want you to be still for a moment I just want you to imagine Jesus drawing near to you in whatever situation you're calling to mind. I want you to listen to these words and let the Spirit speak truth into your life. Take courage. It is I, Jesus. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I, Jesus. Do not be afraid. And then Jesus stepped into the anxiety, stepped into the boat, stepped into all the exertion and all the fear, and Jesus, the Son of God, was with them. The Lord is always present in our lives, even in the tough times. And sometimes when he's not doing the things that we might aspire him to do, he's simply with us, holding us. And maybe that in itself is a miracle. Father God, we pray for Chris. We pray, Lord, that you would bless him to us this morning as he's been a blessing to us in his talks in this series thus far. We pray, Lord, that you would give him the words to speak so that our lives might be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come fall upon him and bring him joy in your service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Alison, for reading such a long bit of, the, of Mark's Gospel. So we continue our series of looking at Mark's Gospel before we look at Jesus the miracle maker, I want to remind us what we have been looking at um, over the last few weeks. So Neil, are you happy to do the slides for me? Da-da-da-da, the Gospel of Mark. So why look at Mark's Gospel? So in this series, we've grappled with the question, if we are called to become more like Jesus, well, what is he like? Not what is he, as in, but what is he like? If, we, if we're followers of him, we need to learn what he is like. So we've unpacked some stories that reveal his character and we seek to apply his example to live our lives by. So we've looked at what kind of things does he do, um, how can we follow his example and how can we live out that uh, at work, 
in our community with our neighbours. And the overview, if you're happy to... Uh, next one. So the overview, um, you, you've done most of them already. Did you realise? It's been amazing, hasn't it? And uh, we started off looking at that Jesus is the good news. And we've unpacked looking at Jesus being the healer. Uh, today we're looking at Jesus, the miracle maker. Next week we're looking at Jesus and the way of the cross. But before we look at the miracles, I want to ask you a question. Have you got on with your challenge? Who remembers the challenge? No? Okay, some of you remember. Some of you are like, oh no! <laughs> some of you are looking away. <laughs> so the challenge was to take one or two Mark's Gospels and not only read it for yourself, but to give it away. How have you got on? Have we got any stories from uh, the challenge from Mark's Gospels? Anyone? No? A little bit of nervousness. It's not too late, you know, the challenge is still there. And I've brought a load of Mark's Gospels with me. So if you haven't picked up a Mark's Gospel to read it and to give it away to someone, then grab some Mark's Gospels over there. Last week, I was at a funeral. It was Ruth's godmother's funeral, and I was taking it, and it was a miserable day, not because it was North Wales. It was just a miserable day. And uh, it was raining, and it was a typical you know, black tie Quite, I mean, it's sad. We were celebrating the life of, of Beryl, but uh, it was a sad, sad day. The guy who scattered the ashes, uh, we're walking back, and he says this to me. He goes, I see that cynicism hasn't got to you. I said, oh, yeah, do you know why? He goes, no, why? I said, because I love Jesus. He says, yeah, I can see that. So can I tell you about why I love Jesus? He goes, yeah, go on then. And I talk about what Jesus has done in my life. He's made me a new person. And as we're walking back, and you know, we're like trooping back from scattering the ashes, and I've still got ash, you know, some of the ashes on my shoes, and it's, you know, it's like we're walking back. It's a sombre day. And I say to him, listen, mate, have you got a Bible at home? He says, No. He said, would you have mine? I'd love it if you had my Bible. He said, oh yeah, that'd be great. And he holds it. He goes, this is so good. I'm going to sit with my son and we're going to read some of the stories. I wish I'd had Mark's gospel with me because I would have given him that. Uh, but I didn't, so I gave him my Bible. It's so good to give what we've got away. So good. So please, can I just challenge you? Give away what you've got. People desperately need what you have, uh, some, the, some of the hope that you have, some of this believing in Jesus, the miracle maker. People desperately need to know. So would you take a gospel? There are some here, there's not hundreds, but take one, carry it, be ready to give it away, maybe to a stranger, maybe to a family friend. So, Jesus, the miracle maker. We're going to look at three areas this morning. What is significant about these two miracle stories? Secondly, in what way can we copy Jesus' example? Thirdly, what could Jesus be saying to us this morning? Could he be speaking to us this morning through this word, his word? So let's look at the significance of these stories. 
So what is so significant about them? Well, first off, they teach us about the disciples' relationship with Jesus. Alison read the stories today so well. I mean, imagine reading them in the panic that they are. You see the disciples come back. They've been out doing stuff. They've been healing people. They've seen people's like set free and they're trying to report to Jesus. But the crowd's around them. So he gets them into the boat. They go over the lake to have a time together. But there's the crowds there and the story's frantic and it's like, bam, bam, one thing after another. And we learn about the relationship that Jesus has with his first friends because actually in the busyness of their life, He is saying to them, come and rest. Okay, they don't get the rest because 5,000 blokes turn up. Plus, the Bible doesn't give an indication of how many children or women. But 5,000 blokes turn up because they want to hear from Jesus. So we learn about this precious relationship that he has with his first friends. He takes them to a solitary place after a busy time, even though it doesn't turn out. Jesus' concern for their welfare, how they're doing. And then Jesus doesn't get upset about the 5,000 blokes that have turned up, plus the women and the children. He looks upon this as a training exercise. He takes his first friends upper level from going out to pray for healing for people and seeing people set free from demons and he now takes them to a new level of seeing a miracle in providing food. I chatted to a guy on Friday, he's a photographer and he took pictures of us out on the streets as uh, the city centre chaplaincy team where I work in Peterborough and he said oh you know what, I think the story about Jesus and the 5,000, really it was just five people. I was like, oh really? Hey, this is fascinating, I said, because um, I'm actually speaking on this story on Sunday. He goes, yeah, it was five people and it kind of got jazzed up and they passed it on and it got jazzed up a bit more and they passed it on and passed it on. And it it really wasn't a miracle, it was just like uh, a picnic with five. I was like, oh, okay. And then I was thinking, but how do you explain the baskets of 12 baskets left over Um, really I believe really was a miracle this really happened this really is something that Jesus was able to do and involve his disciples with distributing this food so we learn about his discipleship's relationship with him We learn that Jesus is God. These stories reveal not just the human Jesus, but the divine one. The one who is 100% God, but 100% man. And this is the mystery for you and I. We serve someone who is like us, but someone who is God. Someone who has revealed the living God to us, to this world. You see, both feeding the 5,000 and walking on water have Old Testament examples. Jesus did the things that 
only God can do. So, for example, you can read in Job or the Psalms or even Isaiah of God walking on water. And here, Jesus walks on water. You read of God providing manna. Manna, the bread from heaven. You can read that in Exodus chapter 16. You can read in other examples of God being the one who provides food for his people. And here, Jesus is doing that. And by doing that, he's saying, look at me. I'm not just Jesus who does miracles. I am the one who is God revealed. So the third thing that is significant about these stories is they show us that the kingdom of God is spontaneous. You see, Jesus didn't get a committee for three or four weeks together to plan the feeding of 5,000 blokes plus their families. He didn't do the fundraising. He didn't do the who's distributing what and how we're going to do it. It just happened. It was spontaneous. Um, as an evangelist, I worked with my small Baptist church up in Chester. Uh, we did something called Fun Day on a Sunday. And we had 200 guests the very first Fun Day on a Sunday that we did. We didn't meet on a Sunday morning for church. We went to the park. And we were well chuffed with our 200 guests. It was a lot of work, but we were well chuffed. And we did this year on year, Fun Day on a Sunday, uh, the very last one, we had 25 churches working together, 500 volunteers to make it happen, and 12,000 guests from the community who came along to experience what God is like, who came along to a free fun day put on by the church. They could hear, experience the good news of Jesus. <coughs> But it took all year to plan. And here we've got something spontaneous. We've got Jesus coming away for a quiet retreat, time away. 5,000 guys plus their wives plus the children. Let's say it was about 20,000 people there. And he teaches them. And then he feeds them. As part of my uh, research, I read this um, quote, if I can have the next slide. It says, some of the most effective movements come when events do not work out as planned. And we are completely wrong-footed, but trust God in the unusual circumstances. I'd love to read to you a story. It's quite a long story. There's a story of Bob. And it comes from this book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Step Out of the Boat. Who's, who's read this story before? Okay, a few of you. <laughs> so this is a story of something spontaneous, okay? It's a little bit unusual, so just bear with me. One day, are you sitting comfortably, by the way? Then I shall begin. One day, you can stand? No, you say you're sitting comfortably. Oh. Uh, just a quick response. Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Feedback. Always welcome. Thank you. So one day, 
Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. Is that really true? Bob demanded. Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, Bob said. Then I've got to start praying for something. I think I'll pray for Africa. Well, that's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to one country, Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya? Doug asked. Nope. Ever been to Kenya? Nope. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug, well, he's quite a creative guy. So Bob began to pray. And for a, a long while, nothing happened. Then one night, he was at a dinner. The people around the table explained what they did for a living. One woman said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He had not said much to up to this point, And now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions. You've been to Kenya before? Nope. You know someone in Kenya? Nope. Then how do you happen to be so curious? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray. She asked Bob if he would like to come to visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to do so. He would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled at the poverty and the lack of basic health care. And upon returning back home, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. And he began to write to large pharmaceutical companies, describing to them the vast need he had seen. And he reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. This orphanage received over a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of the letters you wrote. We'd like to fly you back over and have a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. And while he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country and offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison, and Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, he was told. Oh, that's a bad idea, Bob said brightly. You should let them out. Bob finished the tour, and he flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? 
Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let them out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political manoeuvrings had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released and the State Department was told it had been largely because of Bob. So the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? Walking with Jesus can be spontaneous. Asking him for the ridiculous can happen. The, the feeding of 5,000, well, that is impossible. But yet he did it. And I wonder whether these miracle stories will challenge you to do something new in business, in your work, at school, with your friends, for your family, to do something new that seems impossible for the nations to dare to pray these Bob like prayers. Secondly, in what way can we copy Jesus's example? Don't know if you noticed, but when Jesus arrived, as we read in the story, the scripture says he had compassion. You know, he could have very easily said to his first friends, right, get in the boat, we're going to go for our quiet retreat day. It'll be lovely. I've got the candles and some sandwiches. And got to the other side and seen the crowds and said, right, lads, back in the boat. Off we go. But he didn't. He got out of the boat the other side and was moved with pity, the scriptures say. He had compassion on the crowds that longed to hear him teach and to see the miracles. He then partnered with the disciples. This wasn't just a Jesus show. This was a you feed them. We can copy Jesus' example by being obedient to what he asks us to do. You see, when Jesus said to his disciples in response to send them away, it's late and they need to go and get something to eat. Send them away. Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. And we could follow Jesus' example with his first friends by being obedient to Jesus telling us to feed them. So many times I pray for people, for hopeless situations, for Jesus to do something. And the answer is you do it. You do it. You go and visit. You be my hands. You be my feet. 
Jesus reached out and touched the whole person. He taught and fed the people that had gathered. And I just wonder, who's hungry around you? Got the obvious guys, haven't we, when we go into town? Those sitting, begging. Who's hungry? Who needs you to stop and just ask, how are you? To pray. Thirdly, what could Jesus be saying to us this morning? I do believe that he would say, you do it. My very last point is, um, there is no plan B. You see, when Jesus uh, asked his disciples to feed the crowds, all of a sudden angels didn't appear with like heavenly loaves. Um, uh, uh, angelic Gregs didn't turn up. And there was an expectation that if you don't do it, no one else will. And for you and I, there really is no plan B. No one else is going to change this world for Jesus other than you and I. And somehow we need to get our heads around that we need to do this. We need to be able to see people to stop for the one or the 5,000, but to stop for one person. Uh, on Saturday when I was taking uh, my daughter Beatrice to ballet, um, while she's at ballet, uh, I usually go and get a paper and, and get a, a nice cup of coffee and chill. And as I left the cafe, uh, there's a guy, he's called Peter, and he's begging. And I say, listen, Peter, I can't give you any money, but can I get you a drink? He goes, yeah, I'd love that. Um, can I have something sweet? And I say, yeah, I'll go and get you a hot chocolate. Got him a cookie. And as I gave it to him, I said, um, listen, mate, I'd love to pray for you. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love that, actually. Um, it's something so simple to stop for one person, one person. I wonder whether Jesus is saying to us, don't be afraid. I wonder what miracle you desperately need in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your work. And somehow we need to hear the Lord say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I wonder whether uh, Jesus would say to us this morning, would you do something new? The disciples had never fed 5,000 people before. They'd never distributed five loaves and two fish for so many. Would you be willing to go on an adventure to do something new? So, Jesus, the miracle maker, what is significant about these two miracle stories? Well, it shows us that Jesus is God. It shows us that he does the impossible. And in what way can we copy Jesus' example? By having compassion for those around us. Willing to be obedient to what he asks us to do. And what could Jesus be saying to us this morning? I wonder whether you need to hear, you do it. You can do it. 
whether you need to be that miracle for people's lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these stories. Thank you for the wonderful example of Jesus being the miracle maker. Thank you for those that were fed by him. And Lord, I do want to ask that you would give us confidence this morning and you would pour your spirit into us to know that we can do things that are miraculous, even if it's stopping for one person and making a difference in their lives. Lord, help us to have compassion for people around us. Thank you that you do send us from this place to go and change this world for you. <coughs> Lord, help us to share what you have done in our lives and to bring you to those who desperately need what we've got. In Jesus' name. Amen.